0: Hi, I'm Erwin McManus, and I want to welcome you to the Mosaic Podcast. I want to also bring you into some exciting things that are happening here. If you go to the Mosaic app, you will learn about our conference coming up this year, about MSC's new album and their tour across the country. And you can learn how to connect and be more involved in Mosaic in so many different ways. And by the way, we now have the Mosaic YouTube channel. And you can go access not only these talks, but other fresh and new materials that are being created specifically for that channel. And so if you want to be connected in a richer, in fuller way, uh, not only be a part of the podcast, get to the mosaic app, and get to the channel, and we'll see you there. We live right here in the middle of Hollywood, and we're in LA, the entertainment capital of the world. And our church is full of people in the industry. And you cannot know how many friends I know who work on movies who email me ahead of time, ask me to help them get the word out, and to use my platform to help promote a movie and. You cannot know how many bad movies I've saved you from, and uh, <laughs> that I did not promote, even though it cost me relationally, and because and, I have a lot of good friends who make bad movies, and and, uh, and then I have, you know, and, and then they just think anything that says Jesus in it, I'm going to be behind, and, and 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 frankly, it kind of all started with Mel Gibson, you know, with The Passion of the Christ, because he actually made a brilliantly beautiful film that's really hard to watch. And that was an easy one for me because it was, I don't know if you're ever going to be around anything as visceral as that. But then we just have an onslaught of just horrible movies around the Bible. And it's just always so frustrating. Wow. And, uh, okay, that wasn't in my head. Okay. (laughs) uh, So what I'm about to say, no one sent me an email. It's unsolicited. Um. No one asked me for my endorsement. This is just me. I, uh, I went and saw Black Panther this week. And, uh, and it's a brilliant and beautiful and powerful and significant and timely movie. And uh, I could not give my support more fully to uh, a film. I think everybody should go see it. Um, but it's more than that. It really speaks to such a, um, an important space. I was there about like 60 of our community. It seemed like almost uh, 50 of the 60 were African American. I was there right in the middle, and uh, and, and after w- and, and and watching this film, about three minutes to the end, I had this thought. I don't know where it came from. I just thought I've never been more proud to be black. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and, and then I had like this, you know. Thought a little later, really, because I looked at like Joe and Jamar and you know, John Thomas and Martois, and then I'm going, What's wrong? I'm not not black, (laughs) uh, but I forgot, I forgot because I was like so excited about my people. (laughs) uh, and yeah, I remembered that my DNA—you know—if you go to your DNA stuff, it takes you back like thirty thousand years, and my original people came from northeast Africa. So I'm claiming, I'm claiming back Black Panther. And uh, but I, I think this is important because if you're part of the culture, my majority, you, you don't realize that every hero is white, and and so you have all these heroes that just kind of affirm to you, this is who I can become. Like I'm a Latino, you know we, we don 't really get anyone you know, and uh, we get we get white zorros that 's what we get you, you know and, uh, and, uh, right pretty much you, you know and, and and usually, like I grew up knowing that what my pe- my people 's role in the world is to die early you know and to be the bad guy, you know we have a knife and uh, or or we just we get eaten by the monster and you know and this is a movie. That's so needed because it says to, especially I think to, to African American young people, that you have a heritage and uh, and um, a legend that calls you to be the best of humanity, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it's so needed, and so important. So, and then I forgot this. This is so cool because you ever think, oh, I wish we had been a part of this. But you see, one of the producers on the film who was uh, who did the animation. She actually goes to Mosaic. Her and her husband are part of Mosaic. And on top of that, she's on Mosaic's board. And so Mosaic was a part of creating Black Panther. So I think that's kind of awesome. And so we were texting last night, and I told her, I said, this movie is amazing. And we started talking about this, and and then I said, "Um, why don't we rent a theater out in like Inglewood or Watts or somewhere where there's... uh, um, underserved school where kids who can't afford to do the movie and as mosaic we'll just do this as a gift and and let those kids go see the movie so we're gonna do that and uh and it, right now it just started with me and deborah g and her husband ray and me and kim doing this but if you want to join us you can you can go to pastor joe smith because my not in here but we're gonna let my who grew up in watts pick the school and work with the principals and whoever, and then we're going to make it a gift to those kids, and it's going to be just so awesome. And, uh, and, you know, because there's so many negative stories, let's just be a part of advancing a positive one. Okay? All right, now my talk. I've already burned 12 minutes. So I've been doing a series called How Not to Be Stupid. And I, and I wanted to wrap it up. And I started realizing that sometimes we mistake stupidity for immaturity. Because if, if you do something when you're two, no one says, that's a stupid child. I mean, even when two-year-olds do stupid things. And they do so many stupid things. And, and they don't really get better fast. At five, they do really stupid things. At eight, they still do stupid things. But you don't think, wow, my child is stupid. You think, oh, he's just five. That's why he stuck his head in that bowl. (laughs) But if you think about it, if he were 25, it would be stupid. When he shoves all the rocks in his mouth and starts swallowing, you you don't think, my four-year-old is stupid. You think that's what four-year-olds do. There's so many things that children do that are not stupid. They're just immature. And you know they're going to outgrow it. But a part of the challenge in the spiritual journey is that maturity has nothing to do with chronology. That you might be a brand new follower of Jesus and you are making the kinds of choices that accelerate your growth. And you'll become more mature than someone who's been a follower of Jesus for 20 years. Because they've made choices that have actually cost them their growth. And so it's a, it's a challenging thing because you may have believed in Jesus for 20 years now, 30 years now. Maybe you've believed in Jesus in your mind all of your life. But somehow you seem to be stagnant. You're not making progress. And, and, and I, I wonder if you're here and you feel like God is, is not living up to what he, he promised he would be in your life. Because I don't know if you've ever taken any time to read the Bible, but the scriptures are full of promises for you. In fact, there's so many promises in the scriptures that you will find them to be incredulous, almost unbelievable. And and you can actually rationalize that those promises can't possibly be real or for you. And, And a huge part of the reason we actually begin to stop believing in the promises that God gives us is because we don't seem to ever actualize them, to ever realize them, to ever live them out. So we actually conclude that God isn't giving those promises anymore rather than maybe We're not postured to receive them. You may be here waiting on God and not realize that God has been waiting on you. You've been maybe wondering why God hasn't stepped in and God's been wondering why you haven't stepped up. But I want you to know that it's not you waiting on God. It is actually God waiting on you and he is ready when you are. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. That God is ready when you are. There's a particular passage in Galatians chapter 4. And I'll begin in verse 1. It says, I want to tell you this. While the one who will inherit his father's property is still a child, he is no different than a slave. It does not matter that the child owns everything. While he is a child, he must obey those who are chosen to take care for him. But when the child reaches the age set by his father, he is free It is the same for us. We were once like children. We were slaves to the useless rules of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son. His son was born of a woman and lived under the law. God did this so that he could buy freedom for those who were under the law. His purpose was to make us his children. And you are God's children. That is why God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts. The spirit cries out, Father, dear Father, so now... You are not a slave, you are God's child. And God will give you what he promised because you are his child. This passage is full of so much promise. And it actually helps us understand why God promises so much and we receive so little. Because there's, there's a chasm so oftentimes with what God wants for your life and what you're ready to receive in your life. And I, I love that he lays the backdrop of this by letting us know, you need to know who you are for you to understand how God wants to work in your life. And he begins and ends with this declaration. I want to tell you this, while the one who will inherit his father's property is still a child... And in verse 7, he says, so now you are not a slave, you are God's child. And God will give you what he promised. Why? Because you are his child. And again in verse 6, he says, and you are God's children. He keeps saying over and over again, you belong to him. You are completely his. See, everything that God wants to do in your life is built on this reality. That God has connected us to himself through Jesus for a relationship. That everything God wants to do in us and for us and through us is completely relational. And if God's going to do his deepest work in your life, you have to build your identity on this singular relationship. That you are completely his. That you are a son and a daughter of God. Now this is important for a number of reasons because have you ever felt as if you cannot figure out who you are Have you ever felt almost like your identity is fluid and 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 it's constantly getting fragmented and broken the reason is that all of us form our identity by the forces that inform our identity so what matters to us who matters to us that actually begins to tell us who we are and so some of you, you spent your entire life trying to become what you perceive other people want you to be so that they'll accept you. And so you spend your life trying to be what they want you to be. But when they realize that that's not who you really are, they walk away and you're left with nothing because you don't know who you are. Because you abandoned who you were for who they wanted you to be and who you want, they wanted you to be wasn't who you really were. So now you don't know who you are. And some of you keep changing your core identity so that you can be accepted and loved and belong somewhere. And that's how you lost yourself. So your core identity has to be in the one who loves you without condition. Who doesn't need you to become what you were never supposed to be to be loved. But when you come to know him and live in a relationship with him, you actually become who you were always created to be. This begins by knowing that you are completely his. And maybe you just need to have an internal moment where we just say, I am completely his. Because you belong to someone. And in this belonging, you find your deepest meaning. Some of you here that still live like you're orphans, but you've been adopted. You're not just visiting. You are family. And you need to step outside of your sense of isolation and disconnection and go, God, I'm going to accept the fact that I belong to you, that I am your daughter, that I am your son. And there's some of you, you have such deep brokenness because you never felt like you belonged to the family that you came from. You've never felt you belonged to the people you've come from. You've spent your entire life trying to find some place that accepts you for who you are, except you don't know who you are. So how in the world can you be accepted when you don't even accept yourself? And God wants you to know that the way he relates to you is that you belong to him. You are completely his. And and this is, for me, how we learn to begin to walk in this thing called grace. That you were accepted by God not because of anything you did. And so God will never let you go because of anything you've done. It's hard because humans don't act like this. You need to live up to the standards and expectations of the people in your life for you to maintain your status in relationship with them. And if you make the wrong choice, if you do the wrong thing, you will lose those relationships. And so we project that on God. There's no way God could still love me. There's no way God could still accept me. But I want you to know that once you open your life to Jesus and once you've given your life to him, once you've accepted what he has done for you on the cross by giving his life as a sacrifice for your life. That nothing, but nothing can ever separate you from his love. He says, you are completely his. But then he goes on to say, I want to tell you this, verse 1. While the one who will inherit his father's property. Oh, that, that, that's a big phrase right there. The one who will inherit his father's property is still a child. He is no different than a slave. It does not matter that the child owns everything. Now, these are two segments of the same sentence that should really traumatize you. The child owns everything. It's talking about you. That you own everything. I don't know if you know how much you own. Because you may be acting like you own nothing when you actually own everything. You may be living like you own nothing, but you actually own everything. You may be living with a poverty mentality and a poverty posture when actually you have already inherited everything you need to live the life God created you to live. But he says, the child owns everything, but right before that he goes, it does not matter that. Wait a minute, what do you mean it doesn't matter that I own everything? It matters to me that I own everything. Can you imagine waking up at the end of your life finding out that you owned everything, but you lived your life like you owned nothing? So So one of the things we don't really sometimes get about God is that there's nothing God created that he didn't create to give away. See, God didn't create because he needed something. God was already complete. This ever-expanding universe that's bigger than us, it's too small for God. It's confining for God. It's like putting a size 13 God in a size 2 dress. There's just no way God can fit in the smallness of creation. He's bigger than everything He created. So why did he create it? He created it for us. He created it because God is a generous God. Everything God has created, everything that would be called his possession, his property, he created for you, for me. But it says, but it doesn't matter. Then did all that. But before we get to the doesn't matter part, I want you to get to the everything is yours part. See, maybe you need to take a moment and just go, I am completely his. And let that sink into your life. But then you need to step a little further in and go, and I own everything. Everything you need to live the life God created you to live is already yours. It's already been given to you. It's already been purchased for you. It's been already been provided for you, but maybe just sitting there because you don't know it's yours. It's all yours. Now, I, I don't know what that feels like because my dad didn't leave me anything. I'd just be straight up. I never knew my dad. He never left me any secret property waiting for me. He never bought anything just to leave me so I could have one day and say, oh, this is from my father didn't even leave me his name i don't even know what his name was he didn't really leave me anything and i think sometimes we project this on god that god's like the father who abandons us but he's not like that god is the god who created everything and he loves to give it to his children he loves to give it to his sons and daughters so all right wait a minute so if we're completely his and everything is ours why are we living in such poverty Why are we living as if we have nothing? Why are we living beneath what he has for us? You see, I I think that a part of the dilemma is that there's a lot of ways to engage the scriptures and the truths of God. Some of you are actually living a principled life. See, one of the things I love about the scriptures is that there are principles in the Bible about how to live your life. And if you apply those principles, your life will get better. Even if you don't believe in God. I mean, the principles in the scriptures, like the principles of generosity... The principles of integrity, the principles of forgiveness, those principles, they will radicalize your life, even if you don't believe in God. And there's some of us who believe in Jesus, but we only relate to Jesus on the principles. But we actually never move to a level of presence. And we think we've received everything that our faith has for us because we're living a principled life, but God wants you to live a life that's actually marked by his presence, not just his principles. God wants you to live in intimacy with him. He wants you to know his voice. He wants you to know who he is and to walk with him. He wants to be as close to you as it is to breathe. He wants to be as vital to your soul as oxygen is to your body. But it, it sounds kind of strange and a little mystical, doesn't it? See, I remember when I went and got my master's degree in theology, and we would study about Elijah, and we'd study about Moses, and we would look back at at how God worked in in, in biblical history, and and the professors would say, well, God doesn't work like that anymore. And they'd say, no, that that was a different time in history. See, but it it, it, it actually isn't that God doesn't work like that anymore. It's that we don't seem to work like that anymore. See, we, we keep acting as if God isn't... Ready to do great things in our lives, but it's just that we're not postured to receive the great things He wants to do in our lives. You see, it's not God, it's not us waiting on God, it is God waiting on us. He didn't change when history moved forward, we just left Him behind. So, what is stopping God from working? It does not matter, the child owns everything. Why? Verse 2 When He was a child, He must obey those who are chosen to care for Him. But when the child reaches the age set by his father, he is free. It is the same for us. We were once like children. We were slaves to the useless rules of this world. And when the right time came, God sent his son. His son was born of a woman and lived under the law. God did this so that he could buy freedom for those who were under the law. His purpose was to make us his children, and you are God's children. That is why he sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, and the spirit cries out, Father, dear Father. So now you are not a slave, but you are God's child. And God will give you what he promised because you are his child. Now here's the tricky thing. God will give you what he promised because you are his child, but he will not give you what he promised as long as you are a child. Because wow. he needs you to grow up. It says everything is on hold. It's all on hold until you grow up. Listen to what he says again. While the one who will inherit the father's property is still a child, he is no different than the slave. So some of you here, you're still living like a slave. And you think, why hasn't God set me free? But you're confused. You're not living like a slave. You're living like a child. And you think you're a slave because you haven't experienced the power and wonder of freedom. But you're actually not a slave because the moment you entrusted your life to Jesus, he set you free. But you're going to live like a slave as long as you're a child. <laughs> I love children. And there's so many things that children do that are cute, right? I mean, when, Like, you ever see little babies and they put their foot in their mouth? I mean, one, the agility is amazing. I haven't been that agile since I was like six months old. But it's so cute when a, when a little baby puts its foot in its mouth. But... It's not that cute if an adult does that. Right? And if you start thinking about it, there's very few things that children do that are still attractive when adults do them. And, and, and when your, your kid throws a tantrum at two, you just know that's the terrible twos. But when they're doing it at 22, that's really terrible. Two. See, when... when When she's 11 and she's completely focused on the mirror and thinks she's Cinderella and is completely self-absorbed and begins to show the characteristics of a mean girl. Well, she's just 11. But when she's doing that at 27, it's not cute anymore. You know, when you're 15 or 16 and you're making stupid choices, everybody knows that you're just 16. You're supposed to make stupid choices but not when you're 26 or 36 or 46. There has to come a certain point in your life where you realize I'm holding God up because I refuse to grow up. Now, now, this may sound like I'm giving you a spanking, but that's only if you're a child. If you're an adult, I'm giving you your way to freedom. There's a different thing happening here. See, everything God has for you is on hold until you're ready to receive it. Wouldn't it be like, wouldn't it have been epic if like the day you were born, your dad bought you a car? One, it would be priceless. Because if I had any car built in 1958 it would just be worth a fortune, right? It could have been a Corvette, could have been a Porsche. I'm not picky, either one of the two would have been fine. 1958 Porsche, that'd be pretty epic. But what if my father said to me, this car is yours, but you can't drive it until you're old enough. And then when you're old enough, you need to learn how to drive. And you need the study to pass the driver's test. And you need to go to the DMV and take the test. And then you need to come and get the keys and the car is yours. So it's yours. But you, you have to make the choices of an adult to get to have your car. But you don't want to go through the hassle of, of learning how to drive. And you don't want to go through the bother of studying for the test. And you don't have time to go to the DMV. But you want your dad to give you the keys. But he's so stubborn. He doesn't get you. He doesn't get that you don't have to go through all that process. He, he, he is so uncaring and so lacking in generosity. He won't just hand you the keys. He says, the car is yours. You go, well, if the car's mine, why can't I do what I want with it? The car's yours. But you don't get to drive it until you're no longer a child. Until you become man. You're no longer a girl, and you become a woman. And so you, you spend your life driving the, taking the bus in L.A. And, and other people are taking the bus because they don't have a car, but you're taking the bus because you have a car, but you just won't access it. And when people ask you, how come you're on the bus? You go, because my dad won't let me have my car. So not only are you taking the bus when you could be driving the car, you start blaming your father and acting like he's not generous, but it's really all on you because you haven't made the decision to grow up. And then one day one of your friends is in an accident and they need you to drive them to the hospital but you can't drive them even though the car is sitting there in the garage. Because you had not prepared yourself for that day when someone needed you to be an adult but you're still a child so you need someone to drive you rather than you take those who needed you to take them somewhere. So there's some of you that are still living on everyone else's maturity and you're blaming God for his lack of generosity and God is saying to you, It's all yours. It's all yours. It's your inheritance. But as long as you act like a child, and as long as you choose to be a child, you're going to live like a slave. And it doesn't matter that you own everything. It doesn't matter at all. See, in, in ancient cultures, there's always a ritual that you went through that moved you from childhood to adulthood. There's a rite of passage from being a boy to a man. A rite of passage from being a girl to being a woman. And our our cultures have lost those rite of passages. We don't really have them anymore. And a lot of it is because children are being raised by parents who are still childish. And so they're not seeing a reflection of maturity. Just adults who didn't learn how to adult. So then children begin to project what maturity looks like. So they start taking on postures of adulthood that are actually signs of immaturity. So they start smoking when they're 12 because that makes them look mature and feel mature. They start drinking when they're 10 because that's what they think it means to be grown up. They start having sex when they're 13 because that's what they think it means to be an adult. And they start making destructive choices in their life because they thought that's what maturity looked like, but it was just an immaturity that they were imitating. What is your rite of passage where you said enough is enough? I'm no longer a child. It's time to grow up and be more. And and if you haven't been motivated, maybe if you just realize it's all on hold until you grow up. See, Maybe I don't have my mind, but I think the same God that heard Elijah pray and bring fire down from heaven, that God is available to me and to you. See, I think the same God who called Moses to stand in front of the water and part the sea, that same God is available to you and to me right now. That same God that called Peter out and he walked in the water, that God is still calling us out. God has not changed. He's waiting for us to change because he's ready he's just ready when we are wow, he's ready when you are and maybe your life is on hold because you've enjoyed being a child and didn't want the responsibility of being an adult because you see freedom comes with responsibility it says but when the child reaches the age set by his father he is free now we love that part In verse 5 it says, God did this so that he could buy freedom for those who under the law. We want the freedom part, but we don't realize that with freedom comes responsibility. And we run from responsibility and we end up losing our freedom. But if you want to be free, you have to choose to be responsible. And you have to make adult decisions in your life. And just a couple of adult decisions See, adults understand that choices have consequences and implications. See, when you're a child, you make choices, and your parents will protect you from the consequences of your choices. But when you take on maturity, you decide that your choices are yours, and you take responsibility for the choices you make. You own the benefit, the consequences. You don't run from your responsibility. You embrace your failures and your mistakes. You take it on. Because it was your choice. You stop blaming other people. An adult takes responsibility for their choices. But an adult also takes responsibility for the relationships. See, when you're a child, you don't necessarily think through who you're hanging with. Your parents are supposed to pay attention to who you're spending time with. And a huge part of parenting is making sure your kids are around kids that you want them to become like. But when you're an adult, you're the one responsible for the people in your life. You're responsible for the relationships in your life, and you have to start making adult decisions along the way. You have to make decisions around your choices and your relationships and your resources. So I remember years and years ago, I gave my little cousin $20 because there was an ice cream truck driving by. Remember those? Yeah. And, and I said, hey, go buy ice cream for you and all your cousins. And they went out there. It cost like $2 because it was a different world then. And when he came back with all the ice cream, I said, hey, where's my change? And he said, what change? I said, you know, the change to the 20. He goes, well, well, that's mine. And I said, no, I gave you a 20 and I want my change back. He goes, that's right, you gave me a 20, so it's mine. And I said, no, no, I gave you a 20 to go buy ice cream. I want my change. And he started crying. And I said, I don't care if you're crying, I want my change. (laughs) Because I understood the mind of a child. You gave it to me. Now it's mine. I can do whatever I want with it. That. That's the way a lot of us still relate to God. We, we want him to give us everything he can give us. And then we act offended when he asks us for something in return. You know, I, honestly, I, I get tired of people who don't give giving their opinions. It's just that I throw that in. Because I hear people say, well, I just don't know if I can trust the church. I said, but you've been coming for months and even years. They were, yeah, I just don't know if I can trust the church with my money. I said, here's what's interesting. You trust us enough to receive, but you don't trust us enough to give. And, and by the way, you should be far more careful of who you're receiving from than who you're giving to. And, and you see, I think a lot of us, we got in a pattern of getting away with childish things. So when you were a child... You were impatient, but God still kept working in your life, so you kept impatience with you, because you didn't understand that it wasn't that God was pleased with you, it was that he was patient with you. See, when you were a child, you didn't forgive, you were just bitter all the time, and you just kept making some progress with bitterness, and you didn't have to forgive, so you thought God was okay with that, but you didn't realize that it didn't give him pleasure, it was just his patience. See, there's some of you here, and people ask me, why don't you teach more on, like, sin? That's because we're really good at it. I don't really have to teach on it. And uh, we do it naturally. You know what it says here? When you're a slave, you live under the law. But when you're free, you're above the law. You're free. You see, if I have to moralize, if I have to tell you what's right and wrong, I'm just talking to a room full of babies. But when you're an adult, you don't need someone to try to manipulate you through guilt and shame, but to call you to your highest self. And so some of you, you've got some dark stuff in your life. Some back closet stuff. And your life has still been working. So you thought it was okay with God. But it's not okay with God. You see, it's not his pleasure. It's his patience that you've been living under. And you you need to move from living in his grace where you're receiving because he can be trustworthy. To living in his blessing to receiving because you can be trustworthy. What does God want to do in your life right now? That he's just waiting for you to go, God, I'm ready to step up and be more. I'm ready to take responsibility for my life. I'm ready to be the woman, the man that you need for this moment in my life. Kim and I have been talking a lot about a phrase that we made up called adulting. We we need to teach people how to adult. How to like grow up. How to become a tourist. Stop being a child. And I, I don't want to be too hard on you. But I, I do meet people who say things to me like in their, they're in their 40s and say, where do I go get discipled? I'm like, how long have you been a Christian? 25 years. And I'm like, I, I, how can I help you? If you haven't become a disciple after 25 years, there's something broken. See, there has to come a point in your life where you don't ask, where do I go receive? You ask, where do I go to give? I I, I think maybe we've just been mistaught. Someone told you you're supposed to be a child all your life. But you don't need baby food. You need the real meal. You need to grow up. And serving is so much more important than receiving. And then I have people. You ever meet people They just go like Jesus weird? You know what I'm talking about? They get all like hyper-spiritualized, and it's all about miracles and signs and wonders and spiritual gifts and, and, you know, just like all the spectacular. You know what I noticed? That usually is one of the clearest signs of spiritual immaturity. Because we're drawn to the spectacular because we resist the substantial. Because we want the miraculous because we don't want to pay the price for maturity. And you, you know what the deepest, most profound spiritual thing God can do in your life is make you a person of integrity. Make you a man of character. Make you a woman of character. This is what it means to grow up. I, I love that it says, and God places a spirit in us so that we cry out, Father, dear Father. That translation is Abba. And, and, and that can be translated Daddy. And I, I'm going to show you something. I, I've never said this out loud, but I meet people like, who say, uh, grown people going, I'm just praying to Daddy. It creeps me out. It, it does. It doesn't bother as much when it's women. Maybe this is, like, you know, a gender bias here. But when a man, full-grown man, goes, you know, I'm just praying to Daddy. I'm like, wow. Because I'm a dad. I love being called dad. My daughter Mariah is 26, and she can call me Daddy till she dies or until I die. I love when she says Daddy. I know when she says Daddy, she wants something. I don't care. Like, but if Aaron, my 29 year old son said daddy, I'd go what? boy, grow up, be a man I'd say, I, would not, I would not relate to him the same way I relate to her and Aaron doesn't call me daddy he calls me dad sometimes they irritate me, he calls me Irwin I go uh uh-uh. uh but, but I've I realized that a part of the problem is that we get confused you're always God's child but you're not supposed, supposed to stay a child it's supposed to become mature and complete, not lacking anything. And I, I, this is what I pray for you, that you would make the small choices that moves you to maturity. Make the right choices. Own the choices you make. Choose the right relationships. Get involved in community. Invest your life in people. Let people into your life. Take responsibility for your resources. Some of you, you're still struggling with becoming generous or tithing or becoming a person who's sacrificial. Those are the choices that children struggle with. When you become an adult, that's when you begin to experience the presence and power that Jesus always wanted you to live in. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you've just received, allow it to go deeply into your soul, to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic, to go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation, to become a regular giver and investor in bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.